Thank you, Mary. Thank you, uh, Bert. Great job. Good morning, brave souls. Good to see you out there. You like our skating rink out there? Man, I tell you, when I drove up here this morning, I was here at like quarter past eight, and go, oh, no. So I had to text the guys like as if what they were going to do was it nothing they could do. But it's so funny because um, um, Bert was asking me yesterday we were at breakfast, and he goes, so how do you think we handled it, you know, this whole thing? Is this as best you can handle it? I mean, what, what are you going to do? You know, you're not used to the, the snow and the ice, so, you know, me and, and people from Massachusetts, Iowa, where, you know, um, it's a normal occurrence, you know. So when I came down here, I was like, uh, it, my, the ice reminded me of Iowa because we used to have ice storms, and those were the worst. I didn't care about, you give me six inches, a foot of snow, no problem, but the ice is, is, is scary. So I learned about the ice when I first came to Iowa. You know, they're telling me, oh, you got to watch out for the ice, because so, you could have an inch of snow, two inches of snow, and the wind starts blowing, and all you get is prayer. There's nothing stopping it. Well, you know, I go out on a Sunday afternoon, where I usually did, go down to the church, get set up, and I, would, I might write a song or fiddle around here, for the, you know, getting ready for the next day. So I'm driving there and on this road, and it's like, and it was one of those days where I go down the road out of my, my uh, street, and there's all these SUVs in the ditch. I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you, like 60 or 20, what do I do? Instead of turning around, what do I do? I keep going. So I got on the main drag, and it's like, oh, he's got a bunch of wimps, right? So I get up to the, turn off the main drag to go down the road, this windy road for like five miles to the church. And uh, I go down, I was like, started sliding. I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. <laughs> so I started spitting. And I was like, I'll just, all I want to know, all I want to do is hit that dirt patch and just jam and stop right there because I don't want to flip into the ditch. I did it. I was like, then I called my, uh, one of my deacons, and he had, a, he had a tow truck. And he, he sent the tow truck over to me because uh, he had a car dealership. And he, uh, he pulled me out of the ditch. I was, I was running out all the way in. I was kind of like just before you fall into it, so. Anyways, I learned my lesson. I ain't going anywhere if it's all it's iced up. So, that's being hard-headed as, as I am. But anyways, because um, I, I had the, I used to have the uh, mindset where, and I, I think I got it from Bob, and it's like you know it'd be, you know it'd be six inches of snow, we'd have class. I mean it'd be it was crazy. But we they would in Massachusetts they plowed during the storms and everything, so it wasn't a big deal. But still, we were crazy. So when I went to Iowa, I was like you know there's no we're not gonna cancel. I, the day I had to cancel a class for the first time, I was so upset. I was like, oh man. But I learned to relax and when in Iowa you I, you know it's kind of like the Midwest. I was telling people, Midwest and uh, in the South, it's like a totally calm compared to the north, northern cities where I'm from. We're out of our minds, you know, we're crazy, we drink too much coffee, too much Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know. But we just when I when I came here, when I came to Iowa the first time, it took me about a year to I'd acclimate to just and I liked it. I was like, oh, this is so much more relaxing. I'd go back to Massachusetts, and it's culture shock. And uh, then I, when I came here, I was like, oh, this is, this is like Iowa was in the sense the pace of life is a lot slower. So anyways, uh, I thought you guys handled it great. I mean, you know, make sure you have enough food in the house and stay warm and, and, uh, and, uh, and hope your, per your pipes don't burst, right? That's the only thing you have to worry about. <laughs> but uh, when I woke up one, uh, Monday morning, and I looked at... Uh, you know, I have a little cottage right down the road. It's like, so I went to the back of the house and, oh man, I got water here. You gotta be kidding me. The pipes there. No way they busted. Because I was out what, the first Christmas here and for a week and, and we had snow and seven degree temperatures, like two or three days. I never came home to burst busted pipes. So I'm like, what is that? I was like, oh, it's the hot water heater. So the hot water heater just had a little bit, some kind of uh, thing uh, 
going on. So I called the guy, I called the girl in the office and goes, nobody can get into the office today. Cause I, oh great. So give me the guy who was, I knew the guy who was the, uh, the main, head maintenance guy. He, taught, he said, he said well, I had said, well, just put towels in it before it, you know, it was not a big problem. And then he came by the next day and he's a Christian too. And uh, his dad, I love his dad, and he, and so they fixed it. And they actually went out. And they, I said, "Did you guys go out for me just alone?" I said, "You had other things to do, right?" They go, "No, we came out for you." I was like, "Really? Oh, that's that's great." So I thought those guys were nice to do that. Anyway, so that was my uh, fun time. I, to me, it's like I don't, I love the, uh, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. The, 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 you know, as long as I have heat, okay, I don't freeze my butt up. I don't care. So I uh, hope you enjoyed yourself. I had a lot of work done. Whether I, you know, we, you know, cancel a class or not, I, I still get, I still work and, and uh, do what I do. But great, thank you for coming out. And uh, so let's, uh, we're going to continue our study of uh, Habakkuk. We're, we're coming near the end. We should be done with Habakkuk uh, next, I think February or March, I think it is. And um, we're, we're coming to the end. So the next month, or two, month and a half, two months, we should be done. And then we're going to go back to the New Testament. But, uh, and we're continuing our study of the Day of the Lord on Wednesday evenings. And also remember we have our corporate prayer meeting at the end of the month, the last Wednesday of each month, which is the 31st this month. We have a corporate prayer meeting at six o'clock, if you can make it. And uh, I know some people are still at work probably, but um, if you can, we have, we've been getting a great turnout for that. And uh, what else? Uh, so that's, that's about it for uh, my announcements. And uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer. I look around, you all know what to do. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given to us, another day to study your almighty word and to learn about who and what you are and your Son and the Spirit, what you've done for us in the past, and uh, in the past through the Son and the Spirit, what you're doing for us now, what you'll do for us in the future. We thank you for the fact that we're in union with your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you don't look at us according to our sins and transgressions anymore. You look at us as you look at your Son, crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with him, and part of the new humanity. And we just thank you for that. That's going to reign over this earth for a thousand years and on into eternity uh, with uh, your son, Jesus Christ, as the head. So we know that you've made us uh, as rulers, uh, restoring humanity to its rightful position as the rulers over the works of your hands and uh, dispossessing Satan and the fallen angels. And we know that uh, we're the object of attacks from the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, and we've had our share here. Uh, with different health issues and whatnot, and we just uh, thank you for those who are persevering and, and uh, taking up the full armor of God and the, uh, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in prayer to deal with the enemy, the invisible enemy. We just thank you, Father, for uh, the people that have assembled here this morning that have taken time out and actually uh, came out with the icy conditions to hear your almighty Word. I just thank you for each and every one of them. I thank you, Father, for the entire congregation 
uh, that uh, you've uh, made me the overseer of. And also, I thank you for uh, the leadership in our ministry. I pray you give us the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this congregation. And, uh, and I thank you for these men. I also thank you for this study in Habakkuk. And I pray, Father, that you would use this study mightily, not only today uh, with the people in front of me, your children that you purchased with the blood of your son, but also through the recordings at a later date on our podcasts and websites. And I know there are people all around the world and uh, pretty much almost every continent in the, in, in the world uh, uh, listening to these classes. So I, I thank you for that, Father. And I just pray you would use it mightily. I pray today that you'd help me by the Spirit to communicate your full counsel to your people, to do so with reverence, respect, and power, uh, accurately communicating your full counsel to your people today as we study Habakkuk 3.8, where uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to uh, we, uh, ex exercise his righteous indignation, his wrath upon creation. And with the second and third trumpet judgments and the second and third and sixth bowl judgments, as we'll see this morning. And we just pray, Father, that this study would be a great blessing to your people and uh, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, as a result. I also pray that you'd help your children in the audience to learn, understand, and uh, by the Spirit, and carefully consider the passages and principles that we'll be noting here this morning in order to make personal application. And we pray, Father, again, that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment your word says that uh, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So we pray that they would receive this necessary nourishment so that they can grow with respect to their salvation and their sanctification, becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, in thought, word, and action. And so we pray this, for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. You should be at, you should, if, you, uh, if you haven't turned there already, I don't know if I even said it, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, you probably already knew that anyways. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, as you can see with the slide on the board, we'll be looking at, in the first session, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8, which, uh, as, you'll, as we'll see, is actually, because it's prophetic, speaking of the, the, the events of the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, uh, the second and third trumpet judgments and the second, third, and sixth bowl judgments. And, uh, and we'll explain why that is. And uh, when we do our day, when we're doing our Day of the Lord series, and we'll be looking at those uh, seven, uh, the, six, uh, the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments that are found in Revelation 6 through 18. We're going to go through all of those judgments in detail uh, when we get to it in our Day of the Lord series, which we're, right now we're, we're presently in Daniel 9.26 on uh, Wednesday classes. So, uh, we're, you know, the, the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is all about, as we'll see, he's exercising his wrath upon the world at that time. And uh, as we'll see, when God judges, and this is true of every dispensation in the past and up to now and into the future, when God judges the world, or judges nations, or, you know, he brings in disasters and whatnot, or in this case, you know, he administers the seven seal trumpet and bowl judgments during the 70th week of Daniel, there's two, actually two purposes. One is to, uh, to uh, deal, uh, exercise his righteous indignation to deal with those who are unrepentant, uh, unregenerate people who reject him as their savior. And, uh, and, and, and king. And, but the other, re the other purpose is that a lot of these judgments result in people getting saved and getting, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They see their need for the Savior and during this period of time. So many Gentiles will believe in Jesus Christ at that time. And of course, the majority of the Jews at the second advent will believe in Jesus and there'll be a national regeneration of Israel, which is totally uh, it stands in stark contrast to what happened during his first advent when you only had a small remnant of believers believing. 
So, uh, you know, a lot of people look at crisis, what we call this crisis evangelism, what's going to take place. So, you know, one of the things I, when I say about praying for you, your people, your loved ones, and I always tell you, my people, and I've told you uh, when it comes to prayer for the unbelievers, pray that God would bring in whatever circumstances, people, blessings, adversities necessary to cause them to see their need for the Savior. Okay? Now, God can't make them believe against their will, but he can certainly bring them to a place where they see their need. And I've seen it, people I love uh, who are not believers uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through tremendous crisis. So it's not fun to watch people that you love suffer, but always remember, it's better they suffer now and get saved than suffer for the, forever in the lake of fire. And this is, again, this actually kind of expresses God's love, too, at the same time for the human race, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, God is, uh, he desires all people to be saved, and the people that he'll be judging during the tribulation period are people he sent his son to the cross for. We've got to always remember that when we look at these these uh, passages today. So we'll be in, we'll be going not only in, we'll be in Habakkuk, but we'll also be in uh, also in uh, Revelation, of course, uh, and uh, in Revelation 8 and 16. And uh, so we'll be looking at these 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 various judgments that are related to what uh, Habakkuk saying in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8. So let's keep it's get interesting what's going on in this book. Remember, it's a dialogue between a prophet of Israel who turns out to be a Levitical priest who was a musician, because we see. At the end of this, uh, the book, he talk, and, he, and he talks about this at the beginning, that he is he's writing lyrics for a song. So it's interesting, and I've been bringing this out, this, the lyrics of this song, remember, were going to be sung in the temple. Well, the temple would soon be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon in 586 B.C. And, but we see when, as we study in the book of Habakkuk, Haggai, uh, they came back from Babylon, the exiles, and not only did they rebuild the temple, but also they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem under Nehemiah. Well, we see that in 516 B.C., as we saw in the book of Haggai, they completed it. And, what, and they called this Zerubbabel's temple. It eventually became Herod's temple because Herod expanded upon it. And that was the temple that Jesus walked into during his first advent. Now, this psalm more than likely was sung. And he knew what it was about, Jesus. He knew it that it was about him at that time. And that this, this section called the Divine Warrior Psalm, and Psalm, it's uh, verses 3 through 15 of this chapter of Habakkuk 3, it's called the Divine Warrior Psalm, and there's a motive, we call it, a theme that's throughout the Bible, Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, which is called the Divine Warrior. The Lord Jesus Christ is a warrior. Now, what's fascinating about, you know, you see, get to the New Testament, Paul talks a lot about this, that the Lord Jesus Christ was battling uh, Satan and the fallen angels. Remember, we were enslaved to Satan in his cosmic system prior to our justification. So his crucifixion and his death and his burial and his resurrection session to the right hand of the Father defeated Satan and the fallen angels. They're a defeated foe. When we believed in Jesus at our justification, we were placed in union with Christ and, as I said before, identify with him and his crucifixion, his death, his burial, resurrection session at the right hand of the Father through the baptism of the Spirit. So that means we're now part of the new humanity. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, Paul talks about this new humanity that's composed of Jewish and Gentile Christians. And what's interesting, remember back in the fall, uh, before the fall, when God created Adam and Eve, uh, they were to rule over the works of his hands, creation, the earth, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But you read, you read various passages of scripture 
And right now, presently, Satan is the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, 1 John 5.19, the whole world is under his power. Now, we see that Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews chapter 2. We don't see all the creation subjected to mankind. And that's because Satan usurped the authority of Adam and Eve in the garden. So the first step in restoring human beings as the rulers of this earth, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, was Jesus Christ and his first advent and what he did through his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session right here in the Father. And when you and I get saved, that's, we become members of his body and the future bride of Christ. The future bride of Christ. And so he's calling out a bride, for the, the members of his, his bride, the members of her body, are being formed right now at, in the church age. And so when the church is finally completed, then the rapture will take place. And we will get a resurrection body, we'll be perfected, and then we get rewards at the Bama Seed if we married him. And then what will happen is that we come back at, at the second advent with Christ. The second advent we've been uh, talk, we talked about last week in previous classes here in Habakkuk. And we come back with him, and at that time, not only does, uh, does he, uh, Jesus Christ destroy uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet and the tribulation armies, but he also imprisons Satan and the fallen angels for a thousand years. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, he says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? So you and I are in a tremendous position of authority. You know, the, you know we, we look at his celebrities and we think, oh, well, they're, you know, like I, I was just like anybody else. Oh, you know, the Beatles, oh, Elvis, or oh, John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, whatever. We, whatever your hero was, uh, Clint Eastwood, whatever your hero was, we always make a big deal about these people. You know what? We're the big deal. We are the big deal. And we don't look like much, okay? But when we come back with Christ, nobody will be talking that way. So what I say to this is that one of the things that God wants his bride to know is what he's going to do in the future. Okay, so there's an intimacy between a husband and a wife. that only a husband and a wife know, okay? Well, we're the bride of Christ, so he wants us to know what he's going to do in the future because we're going to be a part of that future. So he's, right now what we're studying in the Day of the Lord series and also in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15 with this divine warrior psalm talking about the tribulation period and the second advent to Christ is he's trying to let his bride know this is what's coming, okay? Now, we, the church, according to the mystery doctrine of the church age that Paul taught, are delivered from the wrath to come. We have enough time today. We'll go to 1 Thessalonians 5. And in fact... If we get another chance, we'll go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as well, which is probably, those two books will be the next two books I think I'm going to end up going to after Habakkuk. What happens is Paul says the rapture is what triggers the, the, the events of the, the 70th week of Daniel and the Antichrist manifesting himself. We have to be removed because the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us permanently. And he, through us, restrains evil in the world. We're the salt of the earth, and we, we don't look like much, but we're the reason why evil is not proliferated to so much of a, such an extent that Antichrist can manifest himself. Satan can't stand against us, as weak as we look, but if we use the sword of the Spirit and the, and the full armor of God, we can withstand anything. We are more powerful than him. We have our power is greater than him because we have the power of Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection and session of the right hand of the Father. We have the power of the Word of God. They can't stand against us. So we see that when we come back, 
uh, when all these things go down, we come back with Christ, but we're delivered from the tribulation events. We're saved from the wrath to come, the day of the Lord. And we, God wants you to know this. He does you, in fact, he was in Second Thessalonians, Paul had to deal with a situation where some false prophet went in there and to Thessalonica and said, the day of the Lord has already begun. And they were all upset. And he had to write Second Thessalonians. One of the reasons he wrote Second Thessalonians is to address that problem. No, you are not. So Paul, if he heard people today teaching that the church is going to go through the tribulation period, he would be so angry. So if you see me get angry at somebody or hear about this, where somebody's telling that we're going to go through the tribulation period, that's why. Because it's just not taught in the Word of God. Okay? So Habakkuk 3, verse 8, we're going to look at this. Uh, this passage is going to talk about the second and third uh, trumpet judgments and the second, third, and sixth bowl judgments because these deal with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, exercising his judgment upon the earth and the reason why he's doing it against the earth and the rivers and the oceans and whatnot and the sea is he's, he's doing it because the creation is under the 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 the, uh, the authority of mankind remember adam and eve fell what happened the environment was affected there was a curse put on the environment that's why we men have to by the sweat of their brow they earn a living and women today too and that's why women have you know pain in childbirth and the period and all that stuff and we even marriage itself has been affected by the fall okay that's why we have battles with each other in relationships you know people say i hear guys say well i don't understand women it's like and then i hear the women say i don't understand men. i said yeah you know what the heart is deceitful with it deceitfully wicked who can understand it so Look at your wife, look at that way, look at yourself that way. That's what we are, okay? So the curse is on the whole creation. In fact, at the second advent, Paul mentions that the whole creation, he personifies creation as groaning until the manifestation of the, the sons of God and their resurrection bodies. Why? Because at the second advent, the curse is lifted. All right, so look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 with me, please. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. And we'll read, let me just put it up here. What did I do here? There we go. We'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll look at verse 8 in detail. Now, the reason why, again, I have to reiterate this, re reiterate this. I read the whole chapter, even though we, there's one word, verse we're working on, is because I want to, I'm teaching you at the same time, and, uh, and I'm teaching, is that always pay attention to context. This is where false teachers and cults start. They just take one passage of Scripture, and they don't pay any attention to what's come before it or what comes after it. So a good teacher, he needs to get you, any teacher in any kind of area of, uh, of line of work, whether they're in the military or a teacher in schools or colleges or university, whoever, good teacher pays attention to context, okay? So Rome, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shagayanah. Lord, I have heard your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came. Now, here's where the psalm begins. And uh, it starts with, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. 
His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Again, that's speaking of the second advent of Christ, of what we studied. His splendor was like the sunrise, and rays flashed from his hand, speaking of the exercise of his omnipotence, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, speaking of the seven seal, trumpet, and bull judgments. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. At his second advent, there'll be a worldwide earthquake, earthquake that has never been seen before in history and never will again. He stood and shook the earth, and he looked, and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal, as we pointed out. That's a, a, I would disagree. We, we uh, noted it was actually speaking of the angelic processions following Jesus Christ at his second advent, not his ways are eternal, as we, I explained to you in detail. And so he says, I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. That's down near the area of uh, the, the, what we call today the kingdom of Jordan. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. And there he's speaking in context of the tribulation period. He's going to deliver Israel and Gentile believers. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, speaking of the Antichrist, as we'll see when we get to it. You stripped him from head to foot, Selah. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding... You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. And then that's the end of the psalm. And now Habakkuk's going to express uh, his response to the revelation he's received in the first two chapters and the revelation he just received in verses 3 through 15. What's interesting, he's talking, you see this in the prophets a lot of Israel. He's talking about his contemporary situation in the first two chapters. Yes, the southern kingdom of Judah will be judged by the nation of Babylon. Yes, God will judge Babylon eventually as well. Okay, all fulfilled in history in the first two chapters. You get to chapter 3, verses 3 to 15, he's speaking of the future. The future of Israel, and it's, it's, it's the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years of Israel's discipline from God, okay, for their rejection of him. So now we get Habakkuk's response, which I can't wait to get to teach this because it's really, really good. He says, I heard, now he, remember, his, the imminent, he has, he's facing the imminent invasion of his nation where they're going to be deported for 70 years. They will not have a central government. They'll not have geographical borders. They're removed from the land. Okay? So imagine that happening to your country. So you have a total upheaval here. Okay? I heard my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will patiently wait for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That's Babylon. Though the fig tree does not bud, as a result of the Babylonian invasions. And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That, which we get to that. Why would he say, what is, he's basically saying all the temporal things that we have, logistical blessings that we have, and we have a lot of luxuries, I mean, I want to get into due detail because that's my, my lesson here. But I got my, my, I have a Hyundai, right? And it's got heated seats. I, and I was like, 
I was riding one day, I forgot I had the feature around November. I said, oh, my rear rent's pretty warm here. I like this. What is this? Oh, I have the, I have the stupid feature, you dummy. So I'm driving. So, that, I mean, that's a luxury, okay? That's a luxury. We have so many luxuries, it's ridiculous. So, you know, just imagine all this is gone. Well, at the end of the day, he's saying all, the, all those temporal things are nothing compared to my relationship with God. I could lose everything, including my life. I still have the Lord. That's it says, I will rejoice in the Lord. See? And I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Because if you took away everything from you and me, we still have a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Then he says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. And then he says, this is for the, the director of music on my stringed instruments. So this is basically... Really, the whole thing is a, is a prayer, psalm, lyrics to his song. The whole thing is really like that. And, it, and it's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, which you never see with the prophets of Israel. Except you might have a dialogue with Job and God, okay? But very rarely do you have a dialogue that's three chapters long in the Bible where you have one prophet of Israel talking to God, all right? So uh, let me give you my translation of verse 8, since that's our verse for the, for the class. And it says... In Habakkuk 3, 8, is the Lord angry with rivers? Is your anger against these rivers? Is your wrath against the sea so that you ride on your horses, your chariots of deliverance? Now, as we noted in our exegesis and exposition of Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 19 is a prayer, and the prophet Habakkuk offered up to the God of Israel, which he directed to be sung in the temple as part of the worship of the God of Israel. So it's a prayer and it's lyrics to a song. So in other words, it's a song he wrote, it's a prayer, okay? And so we also noted in, in verses 3 through 7 that Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15 is not only prophetic, uh, speaking of the events of the 70th week of Daniel uh, in the second advent of Christ, but also alluding to the mighty acts of God in the Old Testament, like as he uh, manifested when he delivered Israel the Exodus generation, out from the bondage of slavery to, to Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, we, uh, we see that, as I also noted, in our study of verse 3, and verses 3 through 15, is actually, uh, I interpret it as being fulfilled in the future during the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. So it's, it, it does allude to Old Testament things like that, but not every verse. Everything, the primary thrust of it is prophetic, or we could say eschatological. It's primarily future. All right, and I gave I, we spent one lesson to tell you why the reasons that is. So it's not just my opinion; it can't be my opinion. It's what does the text say? What does the context say? And the context is clear: it's future. All right. So there's this verse, verse eight, and you see this throughout Habakkuk, and it tells you of his. It speaks of his literary skill. He uses a lot of rhetorical questions. Okay, and this verse is no different. So this verse, verse eight, contains three rhetorical questions. And at the end of it, we have a result clause, which actually presents the result of these three. Now, the one posing these questions is, of course, the prophet Habakkuk. And the recipient is the Lord God of Israel. Now, the first question, as we saw, it says, is the Lord angry with rivers? And the second is almost identical to the first, and it asks, is your anger against the rivers? And the third asks the Lord, is your wrath against the sea? Now, the reference to the Lord's anger and wrath here in these questions, refers to his righteous indignation. When you see the word wrath in your Bibles, 
It's speaking of his righteous indignation. What's that? It's his legitimate anger towards sin. See, you could tell the church that the Christianity has become like this in America. They don't have a healthy respect for God. They look at his God as their friend. You know, Jesus is my friend. Look, he is your friend, and he's my savior, and he loves me. But you gotta remember, there's another side to him, which the other side is, is uh, the reason why the other side had to show up, okay? Because God is a holy God. He can't tolerate sin and sinners. Why do you think he had to become a human being, die on the cross, and suffer the wrath of God in our place? so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God in the lake of fire. Because he's, he, has, he has holy, righteous demands. He's a just and righteous God. He hates injustice. He hates murder. He hates all kinds of crimes, uh, slander, whatever. All the garbage that's going on in our country, in our world, in the past, up to the present, and in the future. And the Antichrist, he hates it. But why is this, why is he, well, we have, why is this all taking place? Not because God wants this to take place. He created creatures, human beings and angels, with a volition. When you do that, that's what you're going to get. So he's working to give us, uh, giving those who believe in his son, a new nature, which will not have a sin, will have no sin nature one day. And we are, the, we're not, we actually, when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he die, try to, he died for us, our sins, all right, but and to deliver us from Satan and his cosmic system. But he was also trying to deliver us from the, our, the bondage of our will. Our volition was in bondage to Satan and the flesh. That's why you'll never sin again when you're in a resurrection body. You're a sin. You, in fact, right now, you're freed from that. And your will used to be, before you became a Christian, your will used to be in bondage to the sin nature of the cosmic system. In other words, you had no other choice but to obey. You, you, always, you just were doing whatever it said. It appealed to you. Now, you, when you became a Christian, you had the spirit, and the spirit was against the flesh, and you feel like you're a schizo, okay? Oh, I want to do this, but no, I can't do this. Why? Because the Spirit's saying, no, that's against, against my will. So we see that the righteous indignation of God is what's being exercised. Now, he's, he's, he's exercising it against creation. The rivers and the sea, what do they do wrong? <laughs> okay. Well, again, it goes back to the creation is affected by the fall. That's why we have storms and ice storms and blizzards and tornadoes and tsunamis and all this garbage, okay? The reason why is because the, the, there's a curse on creation. There's a curse on our bodies. This is why we die physically. Back to the dust of your ground you shall go. And speaking of our biological life, there you go. There's, and then there's actually, the, this marriage has been affected, it says in that passage of Genesis. Okay, that's why we have problems in marriage. Well, and we also have the sin nature, this body. We come to this world and we're sinners by nature and practice and we, we're self, by nature selfish and self-centered. Okay? So the human race has got this, we're in this, surrounded by enemies. Okay? We come into this world, we have no clue what we're walking into, right? But God knows all about this and he has a plan and we're part of that plan to remove the curse and have a humanity that loves him and will obey him willingly because they love him and remove the evil from the universe one day, the new heavens and the new earth, where you'll have no remembrance of what has taken place in our lifetimes and in the past since the fall, and will take place all the way till the great white throne judgment. So we see that the reference to the Lord's anger here and wrath here in these questions in Habakkuk 3.8 refers to his righteous indignation, which refers to his legitimate anger towards evil, since both are contrary to his holiness or perfect character and nature. In fact, God's righteousness 
His righteous indignation expresses his holiness, which pertains to the absolute perfection of his character. In fact, when God, when the word holy is used of God, you know, we use holy for us. Sanctification, we're set apart to serve God exclusively. It's a different sense with God because it's telling us that God's character transcends his char the character of his creatures. Men and angels, okay? God finds fault with his angels when they did the seven seal trumpet of bold judgments. And we, we'll probably see the passage in Revelation. No one was worthy to open the seven seal, the, the seven seal scroll, which is the title deed to planet earth, but only the lamb was. He was the only one that was worthy. No angel was it worthy, okay? By implication, it's telling you there was a fall. So I believe that Satan was the head of the, 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 the angelic race. And when he fell, the whole race fell, just like when Adam, the head of the human race fell, we fell too with him, Romans 5.12. So we see that the, 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 the whole creation has been affected by the fall, and this is why the God is, he's actually, the, the, he's angry with the human race, who's the reason why he's doing this to the creation, because he's affecting man's environment. Why? To, to deal with them, but also to maybe save some of them to, through crisis evangelism, showing them their need for their savior. And I've said this before, Pastor Peek and I have talked about this. We were talking about it at breakfast with the guys yesterday. You know, we're talking about what's going on in this country and we can speculate what's going on. It doesn't look good. The upcoming election looks like a disaster waiting to happen. I'm waiting for some kind of black flag operation going on with the CIA doing something. And you know, we're, doing, we're in war in Europe with Russia or something. Whatever's going on, who knows what they're gonna do to try to deviate attention from whatever's going on or whatever, or get some other pandemic. So we're sitting there speculating about all this stuff. That's going down rabbit holes. You gotta watch out for that. I mean, it's already to speculate, and yes, and some things are going on, but at the end of the day, we have to live the spiritual life, okay? But what we talked about, Pastor Pig and I, is, and we, with the guys yesterday, is, you know, we want people to come to the Savior. We want people to show up at our church and other churches, right? Hear the Word of God. Love God like we do, okay? But some people, and I'm, I, you know, I was one of them, are hard headed. Most people are hard headed, like myself, and you need to get whacked pretty good. Say, oh, now I know what life is all about. But it took this crisis. Happened to my brother Chris, happened to me, and other people I know. Some people, they're born into a family, and they've got to evangelize when they never had it. They, 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 they got saved without this. But most of us go through crisis evangelism. Some kind of crisis happens, and some people it doesn't happen, but a lot of people it does. So God is wanting people to get saved. It's called crisis evangelism. So we talked about this, is that we want our country to see its need for Jesus and the word of God, his word. It might be a crisis, that, a major crisis that we need. Now, that means we're probably going to suffer by association now, won't we? What do you think that Daniel had to deal with? He didn't do anything wrong. He was faithful. What about Habakkuk? But the, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they went into exile. They suffered by association. I'm not saying it's going to happen to us to the extent it happened to them, but it could very well happen to us in this country that are Christians that love God's word, are faithful, you know? We turn up, and everybody, stay, you know, most people stay home because there's 19 degrees out and there's ice everywhere, and we show up, okay? You know, that's a big thing, okay? The God seeing this, look at that, they showed up here today. Like, well, that's very important. So the world, we want them, people around us to see their need for the Savior and Jesus and get it on fire, positive relation to the word of God. Well it might be crisis evangelism that they need in this country.
Could very well be. So, the first rhetorical question has this word Lord. It's Yahweh. The Jews didn't pronounce the word. They, they used the word Adonai. Okay? So, is this word is very important. It's the covenant-keeping personal name of God. He first used it when he was talking to Moses in the burning bush. So, this is the covenant-keeping name of God. It's used here in connection with his covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, and in particular, the remnant of Judah. Now, the member of the Trinity who is being referred to by this word is the Son, and not the Father and the Spirit. How do I know that? Well, it's indicated by the fact that the New Testament makes clear that Jesus, the Son of God, is the member of the Trinity that will exercise the wrath of God against every unrepentant, unregenerate human being on the earth during the 70th week of Daniel and this, with the seven seal, trumpet, and bold judgments. And the New Testament teaches that the Son will exercise his wrath at his second advent. So uh, hold your place. Go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Revelation 5, 1. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Revelation, as I said many times in the past, I don't know if you've heard me say it enough, but Revelation is very easy to outline. It's kind of like Romans. The first three chapters, you see the church on earth. Okay? The, seven, the seven churches of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, in chapters 2 and 3. So the church is on earth, John's on earth. All of a sudden, John's told to come up here in chapter 4, okay? That's a picture of the rapture. So in 4 and 5, it's the church is in heaven. And then we have 6 to 18 is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his exercising his wrath, dealing with the nation of Israel during the 70th week of Daniel. That's what those chapters are all about. You can't find the church, the name church, anywhere, anywhere in those chapters. It's not found. That's another indication the church is not going through the tribulation period. Then all of a sudden she shows up at chapter 19 coming back with Christ out of heaven. Okay? And then we have the second advent and, the, and Satan's in prison. We have the Antichrist killed and the false prophet and the tribulation armies and we have the millennial reign comes in. Alright? So we see that in chapter 5 we have tremendous scene in heaven and we're going to be there. Okay? We're going to be there. Because what he's going to do here, breaking of the seven seal scroll, which is the title deed to planet Earth, which he rightly received, was prophesied in the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, 14, 15, where the one like the Son of Man, a title that Jesus used of himself all the time, more than any other title, the Son of Man, right? He goes up to the Ancient of Days, who's a picture of the Father, Daniel 7, 13, and 14, and receives the kingdom. So here's Revelation 5. Jesus has already done all he's done on earth, his first advent, defeating sin, Satan, and his cosmic system, and now he's in heaven, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and meanwhile, the church is being called out, and now the church's rapture comes up with him, we have the baby seat, now we're in heaven, we're in there, and he's going to do this now, he's going to start pouring out his wrath upon the world during the days of Antichrist, the 70th week. So it says in Revelation 5.1, Then I saw, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's the Father, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. Again, this is the title deed to planet Earth. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, 
Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Worthy. Okay? Then it says, but no one in heaven, that would be the angels weren't worthy, or on earth, human beings, angels, under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it because they weren't worthy. I wept and wept because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There's Jesus. Then I saw the lamb. Here he is, the lamb, looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. This is apocalyptic literature. We'll say something about it at the end of this lesson. And he doesn't literally have seven horns, okay? Horns speak of his, his power, his omniscience, his the eyes. Seven is the number of spiritual perfection, okay? And the seven spirits of God, it speaks of the perfection of God. Sent out to all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The lamb did, okay? Now, he's as if slain. So this is apocalyptic literature. But it's, 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 it's apocalyptic literature of, of, of what actually did happen, of a historical event that's going to happen in the future when Christ receives the kingdom. Okay, just, and then he's already has it in heaven now, but now he's going to exercise the, uh, his wrath against the inhabitants of the earth during the tribulation period. So then he says in verse 8, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You were worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's us, the church. Okay? And, and, and outside of the church, too. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength in honor and glory and praise. Uh, he's the, like the victorious Roman conqueror. Here's the th thing about Jesus. He, he defeated Satan in his weakness. When he was weak, he defeated Satan. When he was nailed to a cross, suffered the wrath of God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was destroying the works of the devil as he was doing that. He was the great victorious warrior who defeated Satan out of weakness. Who in history is like that? Was Napoleon like that? Was uh, MacArthur, Patton, Caesar, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Nimrod? Did they, did they conquer through? No, they conquered through their strength. Jesus is the only warrior who defeated his enemies, who are the worst enemies to the human race, right? And to God, he defeated them out of his weakness. It's a lesson to learn as Christians. Paul had to learn this lesson. When I'm weak, I'm strong. My power is manifested in, my, in, your, in your weakness. So then it says in verse 13, and then I heard, and every, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So there he is. And now look at chapter six, verse one. I actually look, go up here. 
I'm not going to, we'll read that. Yeah, we can read it. Look at, look at Romans chapter, uh, Revelation 6.1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of these seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. And by the way, that's the Antichrist. The first, this first uh, judgment here is actually speaking of the appearance of Antichrist, Okay. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery one. Its rider was given a power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, by the, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Tribulational martyrs. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? <clears throat> and then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers were to be killed as they had been, as they had been, was completed. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat here, and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky filled the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind, and the sky receded like a scroll, <clears throat> rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every freeman hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they, look what it says. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So each of these questions, in Habakkuk 3.8, are directly related to the Lord's actions during the 70th week of Daniel, in which he will destroy various bodies of water on the earth at that time as an expression of his righteous indignation against every unrepentant, unregenerate human being who is deceived by the devil and sin. And thus the Lord will not be angry at the rivers at that time, but rather unregenerate mankind who have rejected him. Consequently, this rhetorical question that we see in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8 demands an emphatic negative response since the Lord was not angry with the rivers but unregenerate mankind. And this interpretation is indicated clearly <clears throat> by the fact that Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 through 11, Revelation 6, 3 through 16, verses 3 through 6, and Revelation 16, 12, describe the Lord pouring out his wrath against the various rivers and oceans on earth during the 70th week of Daniel, which has never happened in history. In fact, Revelation 8, verses 8 through 11, records elect angels administering the second and third trumpet judgments, while Revelation 16, verses 3 through 6, records the elect angels exercise or administering, uh, administering the second and third bold judgments. And Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16, records an elect angel administering the sixth bold judgment. So the elect angels are following the orders of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's take a look, quick, quick, quick look at these. Look at Revelation chapter 8. 
Look at Revelation chapter 8 and look at verse 10. No, actually, no, I want, to, I want you to go. I want you to go to verse 8, sorry. Revelation 8, 8. Revelation 8, 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of, of the sea turned into blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Think about what's going to happen. You know, they're worried, you know, scientists are worried about, you know, asteroids and different things flying to the, to, into the Earth's atmosphere. I think I was watching someone on YouTube in Russia, and they, they videotaped, yeah, you see that thing? Unbelievable, right across the sky. I've never seen anything like that. I, would have, I thought it was the, hey, did, I, did the rapture happen? They left me behind here? I was like, unbelievable what it came across the sky. And they were video, on, the, on the camera, they were videoing it. And it was a meteorite come flying through. They're worried about something really big coming. And guess what? They, they can track stuff. You know what? Guess what? They're right. So they're going to try to do all kinds. This will be where the next thing they want to do is like, we got, and Satan's behind it. We've got to protect the earth from these asteroids and all this stuff. <laughs> Good luck. So the shipping will be wrecked, okay? So then it says in verse 10, the you think there's problems now with, uh, you know, getting stuff coming in and stuff, and, you know, supply chains and all that stuff? They're really going to have a supply chain problem then. Look at verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. I don't have time to go through these in detail. We will in the Day of the Lord series, each one of these. And a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Look at Revelation 16 now. Look at verse 1. Revelation 16, 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, yes, this is a temple in heaven. By the way, Paul talks about this in Hebrews. Um, the temple, the tabernacle, and the plans of the tabernacle and everything that we have in the Old Testament. We, we, when I did uh, Exodus, I did a whole thing on the tabernacle. And there's an article on our website about the tabernacle. It's basically uh, what, a copy of what's in heaven. Okay? So then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go. Pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and he poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl in the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Okay, this is what Habakkuk 3.8 is prophesying about. And the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Are you angry with these, the rivers and the waters, Lord? This is why Habakkuk's saying what he's saying. It's prophetic. Verse 5 of Revelation 16. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, righteous indignation. You, you who are and were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Lex teleonis. The punishment must fit the crime. That's what the eye for an eye, tooth through the tooth is all about. The punishment must fit the crime. And that's what God does when he judges. Not like some judges that we have in our society in the past who do not uh, punish according to the crime. So let's go to Revelation 16. Uh, well, excuse me, you have Revelation, uh, uh, let's see, we'll go here to verse 8. Go to verse 8. Because I want to read verse 12 through 16 now. 
But pick it up here at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people and uh, with fire, and they were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. They didn't repent of their things, sins. They were still stubborn, okay, blackout of the soul. But they refused to repent and glorify God. The fifth angel poured out his, his bowl on the throne of the beast, the Antichrist, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness, and men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. And the sixth angel <clears throat> poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not, be, may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place which is called in Hebrew Armageddon. So we see here, as we noted in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8, you can go back to Habakkuk 3, 8, we'll close. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 8. So it says, Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? As we noted, <clears throat> Habakkuk 3, 8 contains a result clause, which presents the result of these three rhetorical questions. And it actually asserts this result clause that the Lord rides on his horses and specifically he rides on his chariots of deliverance. This is apocalyptic as well. Therefore, Habakkuk is actually asking the Lord here in this verse if he was angry with the rivers and the oceans so that he was riding or with the result that he was riding on his horse-driven chariots of deliverance. Now it's clear that the Lord was riding on horse-driven chariots because he was intending to go to war with his enemies. And the implication of this is deliverance, to deliver, deliver his people. And that's the Lord going to war to deliver his people. So this result clause, you look at this slide on the board, <clears throat> this result clause is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ delivering every, not just the Jews that are saved during the tribulation period, every regenerate and Gentile, regenerate Gentile, from, delivering them from Satan and his angels, the Antichrist and the false prophet and the tribulational armies of the second advent. So he's coming to deliver his people with these judgments, too, as a result of these judgments, he's coming to deliver his people from Satan and his armies, his fallen angels and the armies of Antichrist and the tribulational armies. So this speaks of physical deliverance. There'll be a physical deliverance of his people at the second advent. Uh, some will die a martyr's death. Many will die a martyr's death. But many will be delivered in a physical sense from the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent. So it, this particular result clause speaks of physical deliverance rather than spiritual deliverance, which is accomplished at the moment of justification when the sinner exercises faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, which results in the Father declaring them justified. However, regenerate Jews and Gentiles <clears throat> who will be living on the earth of the second advent of Christ will actually also experience physical deliverance from Satan and his angels, the Antichrist and the false prophet and the tribulation armies as a result of this spiritual deliverance. Because they were saved in a spiritual sense at justification, they'll be delivered in a physical sense at the second advent of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. We'll close with this. Habakkuk 3.8 is depicting Jesus as riding on a horse-driven cha horse chariots at his second advent, 
Well, if you read Revelation 19.11, okay, we've seen that many times, that depicts him riding on a white horse, not in horse-driven chariots. So thus the question arises as to whether or not the Bible is contradicting itself. Is it? Is he going to come riding on a horse or will he be riding on a horse-driven chariot or both? What's the deal? Okay, well, we need to understand that both Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 15, and Revelation 19, 11, to Revelation 20, verse 3, and many other passages in Revelation, and Revelation 6 to 18, uh, they're actually using apocalyptic language. What's that? Well, the term apocalyptic pertains to a genre of biblical writing that reveals God's actions and coming judgment in symbolic language and deals with eschatology, prophecy. Now, J. Dwight Pentecost, one of the great Bible teachers and the great um, expositors of Scripture, went home to the Lord at 99 years old, whatever, out of Dallas professor, and he's a contemporary of the colonel, like Wolverd, and he did the, if you get the book, Things to Come. You want to know something about prophecy? This guy knew it. Things to Come. And he has the following thing about this word apocalyptic in this genre. He says, the Greek word apocalypsis, uh, it comes from the English, uh, we get the English word apocalypse from it. It's, a, it's in a transliteration from the Greek. So this means, this word means an unveiling, a disclosing or a revelation. Now, though all scripture is revelation from God, certain portions are unique in the form by which their revelations were given and in the means by which they were transmitted. Apocalyptic literature in the Bible has several characteristics. In apocalyptic literature, a person who received God's truths and visions recorded what he saw. Two, apocalyptic literature makes extensive use of symbols or signs. Number three, such literature normally gives revelation concerning God's program for the future of his people Israel, as we see in Habakkuk 3.8. Number four, prose was usually employed in apocalyptic literature rather than poetic style, which was normal in most prophetic literature. Habakkuk is poetry. Remember I told you Habakkuk chapter 3 in that Divine Warrior Psalm? That's poetry, and that was common for... Uh, pro prophecy to be in poetry. In addition, uh, Pentecost says, in addition to Daniel and Revelation, apocalyptic literature is found in Ezekiel 37 and four, uh, through 48, those chapters, as well as Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7, all the way to Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8. He also says, in interpreting visions, symbols, and signs in apocalyptic literature, one is seldom left to his own ingenuity to discover the truth. That's a very important statement. He says, in most instances, an examination of the context or a comparison with a parallel biblical passage provides the scripture's own interpretation of the visions or the symbols employed. Apocalyptic literature then demands a careful comparison of scripture with scripture to arrive at a correct understanding of the revelation given, being given, end of quote. So apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature in the Bible, as he said, uses symbols to describe literal persons and events. Okay, so you know, uh, literal symbols to describe a person is a person that's prophetic in the future or historical, uh, and also events. Okay, this is what goes on. So, for instance, in Revelation 19:15, the Lord is describing as having a sharp sword coming from His mouth, not a literal sword. What does that mean? It's not literal, but figurative. In the same way, when Habakkuk 3:8 describes Jesus Christ as riding on a horse-drawn chariot or riding on his white horse in Revelation 19.11. Both Habakkuk and John are using apocalyptic language to describe his second advent when he destroys his enemies. He will not be riding literally on a white horse or a horse-driven chariot, 
The white horse symbolized in the ancient world in John's day victory or conquest over one's enemies. Thus the language in both passages emphasizes with the reader that the Lord will literally wage war against his enemies and will be victorious over them. So therefore, Habakkuk 3.8 is prophetic for the second and third trumpet judgments and the second, third, and sixth bold judgments which will be administered during the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel as well as the second advent of Christ. And also, however, we need to realize it also recalls the first plague that we saw in Egypt when the Lord struck Egypt and the waters. They turned to blood, right? That was recorded in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. So, apocalyptic literature, it's talking about real events that are going to take place, real people. Yes, Jesus will come back, and when he speaks a word, he will destroy people. That's the sword coming from his mouth, okay? He will destroy people with his omnipotence. All he does is speak it into a word, just like he spoke the time out of space, continuum into existence, okay, with just the word. So he defeats his enemies like that. So we're going to have a, a lot more to say as we go to the, the next verse, Habakkuk 3.9. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study word. We pray that this lesson be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, and getting them uh, even more excited about what's going to happen in this future and help us to live accordingly, knowing that what you're going to do to this world because of their rejection of your son, help us to live in a manner that's consistent with who you made us to be children of God, in union with your Son. So help us live our lives, live the spiritual life and consistent in, the, in a consistent manner as we uh, spend the rest of our days here on this earth bringing glory to you. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.